We ask that you bless Pastor Steve, Lord, as he brings this message to us this morning, Lord. And it's in your precious name we do pray. Amen. Amen. I thought with it being so warm, no, not warm, hot, <laughs> that we would do a almost like a Christmas in July. So that's why I've, I'm using a few scriptures from the book of Isaiah last week and then this week. They're both scriptures that typically we read around Christmas time. But I thought Christmas in July, oh, that sounds kind of good right now, especially when it's 102 yesterday. I'm like, oh, wouldn't we love for a nice little cool breeze or something? Um, unless, you're, unless you're like Leonard and you like, and you like the heat. You really just love the heat. Yeah, Leonard's hot too. Okay. Um, whether you are young or not, you may have some experience with a long-term running television show called Sesame Street. In 1970, Grover, they debuted this sketch. And let's see, 1970. So a long time ago. I won't. I won't count up the years. And this was debuted on about the 57th episode of Sesame Street. So you think that Sesame Street had already already been running 57 episodes by that point, and now it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds later. And this important lesson that Grover was teaching people was the idea of. Here. Four. And over the course of two minutes, he keeps running up to the camera. Near. Four. And then he gets to the end and he keeps talking to the camera. He's like, do you understand now? And he keeps going, oh no, they don't get it. And then he ends up, and he just goes, oh, they don't get it. <laughs> Near and far. Some of you might even remember seeing that a long, long time ago. And learning some of those simple lessons about near and far. So I want to ask you this morning, let's help increase our learning together. What are some things that for you seem near? School. <laughs> School? Yeah. My mom. Your mom, yeah. Literally about the nearest person to you. Yes? And your sister. Other things that feel near to you. Or the opposite. What seems far to you? <laughs> that took zero seconds. Retirement. Some of you, that's already in the rearview mirror. You're like, that's very near. In fact, it's, yeah. Yeah. Graduation. Graduation seems pretty far. Yeah. End of school seems pretty far. Okay, so let, let's add a couple more words in. What about small and big? What's something that seems or feels small?
small to you. You owe me. I'm sorry. What's something that feels big or seems big to you? My aunt problem. Your aunt problem. <laughs> I got some stuff at home that I hope. It is kind of dark. Near and far, big and small. All of these things are about perspective. Last week, I showed you a picture of one of the big redwoods up in far northern California that I got the chance to walk by. Actually, a couple of them. And I said that when you walk next to big trees, they're big from a long ways away, but the closer you get to them, you, your brain has trouble understanding how big they really are until you get next to them. And sometimes you have to take the picture and you have to do a panoramic like this to get the full shot. And then it's not until you look at it on your phone that you even get a sense of how small you are next to this big tree. A sense of perspective. So I want us to take a few moments this morning to sufficiently appreciate the greatness of God's design. Not just so that we would feel small or feel overwhelmed, because we will feel overwhelmed, but to realize and be awed by our place in creation. Because I think that this sense of humility is an important perspective. See, we used to think that the earth was the center of the universe and that we are the center of the universe. And it wasn't until we started pulling back and developing better telescopes that we realized how truly small we really are. As we pull further back from just our lives which we already know are complex, and then we consider the Earth, which is even more complex, and then we think about our home galaxy, the Milky Way, which when it's on a really clear night, you can see in the sky, because we're in it, the Milky Way galaxy is 87,000 light years wide. Our nearest neighbor, so we think, oh, the Milky Way is pretty big. Our nearest neighbor, the Andromeda galaxy, is twice that size. One light year is 5.8, I think I wrote, yeah, 5.8 trillion miles. I can't even comprehend that immense scale. Can anyone have a, have a comprehension of what that scale is like? Would you say that these feel big to you? Okay, now I'm going to tell you something. We're all wrong. Because about 10 years ago, they discovered what they think is the largest structure in the universe. And it's nicknamed the Great Wall. And it is a structure that is 10 billion light years wide. Is that big? It is huge. And yet, it is only estimated at 10% of the size of the universe. 
this is the God we serve, who created all of this beyond our limited comprehension, our finite brains, which can do amazing things. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we have to pull back to appropriately recognize our place in creation. That when you think of the scale of this, we are the tiniest little speck of dirt in the universe. And yet God created you. I know, when I was thinking about that earlier this week, I had to just pause a few times. Like, the fact that God, in the midst of billions of galaxies and trillions and whatever bigger number is than that of stars, that he still took the time to individually create us. By now, I trust your brain is short-circuiting, just like mine has. There's no real way that we can comprehend this kind of scale. It definitely makes us feel small. You might even feel it, it anxiety-producing or inducing in you. That's okay. The Bible begins by declaring, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he created a whole bunch of other things on the earth and in the earth until he created you and me. The crown of creation God said, God spoke, and there was. See, we can create things too, but we always create something out of something else. God created something out of nothing. When we consider the incomprehensible parts of creation, our place in the grand design of God is truly amazing. That you have a specific role and purpose in God's creation. When we hear the words of God spoken in the Bible, only then do we have the faintest glimpse of the immensity of his love for us. When you think of all that is out there, all that we can see and, and can't see with our naked eyes, the fact that God created you shows us the immensity of his love for each one of us. Only then is God's plan and his purpose, even though the immensity of it is still largely incomprehensible, only then is his purpose made known when we start to consider how big things are and how small we are. Thankfully, the God who spoke those galaxies into existence and spoke you and me into existence isn't bound by our sense of scale and time. This God is the one who is both great and good. Existing at the farthest regions of the cosmos and nearer to you than your own breath. I know, every time I think about it, it's like if I had, if I had electronic circuits in my brain, they would just be going, they would just pop me. The circuits would be popping right now. Like, it just doesn't compute that sometimes. This God is the one who promises to remain near until the end of the age. And it is this nearness of God, not the farness of God, but the nearness of God that I want to talk about this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Isaiah. I have the words on the screen as well, or you can pull it up on your phone. 
We're going to be looking at a section of scripture from Isaiah 43. These are verses that often are, as I said before, spoken or said around Christmas time. But if we really want to understand Isaiah 43, we actually have to go back and hear the contrasting word from the previous chapter. To truly understand God's goodness, chapter 42 actually gives us the proper perspective. It's like when you watch a show and then you hit the next episode and then it gives you that quick little recap and it says, usually there's like a very serious voice that says previously. And then they give you the recap. That's what, that's what Isaiah 42 is for Isaiah 43. So let me read some verses for us. God reminds his people of why they are where they are before he gives a new word of hope to them. He first speaks about the chosen servant to come. 42, let me start in verse 5. This is what God says. This is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you, or you all, in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. By the way, this, that picture is a picture of, it's called the Hand of God Nebula. If you look for it online, it actually looks like a hand. It's an amazing picture. There are better versions online. It's the Hand of God. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. He's speaking to his people. When these words were written, God's people were in despair and hopelessness. They were living in exile. There was a small remnant of them. Many of them had died and disappeared. Their land was in ruins. And the Lord needs to remind them of their place. He says, this is what has happened. This is how you are here in this moment. But I am going to be doing a new thing for you and through you. In times of despair or when things are seemingly out of control for you, for God's people today, this is a word that can lift our eyes to an appropriate perspective. It's so easy to think, oh, woe is me. So God reminds us, woe is not you. I am doing a new thing. God then goes on to reveal some of how he operates. If you look ahead to verse 14, he says this, for a long time, I don't even want to know what a long time is to God. We know what a long distance is for God, but I don't even want to know what a long time is for God. For a long time, I have kept silent, 
I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. You know what that's like. You look at our hands. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. Notice all these I will, I will, I will. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. This is undoubtedly a harder word for God's people to hear both then and now, because yes, there is the experience of pain and uncertainty that God's people experience then and now, but there's also a promise for the faithful when we take a look at those words. Sometimes those words of hope mean more when they're contrasted with the harder word. How do you know that you're at the mountaintop if you've never been in the valley? How do you know how you will respond in times of trial if you've never been tested? This is what God was trying to teach his people back then. And I think he still tries to teach us that today, albeit in different ways. And each of us has our own things that God is teaching us as well. Then we come to the last bit. And this is the most depressing bit. Trust me, I'll make the turn soon. Verse 20. This is what God says. You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. And then jumping down to 23. Which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? That sounds like who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his ways. They did not obey his law. And this is the hardest part. So he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war. It enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it when I read those words earlier this week, it left me feeling like I imagine it left many of God's people then feeling kind of hopeless, full of despair, like, oh man. Yeah. It's a stinging critique and it's a difficult, yet it's a necessary word for us to hear. But then two little words are spoken by God that change everything. Two of my favorite words in the Bible. Verse 1. But now. These are the words that change everything, where God finally breaks his deafening silence. And he says this, But now this is what the Lord says. In another place it says, All of those things are as nothing. This is what I am doing now. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, 
Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. The New Living Translation says, I have ransomed you. I have summoned you by name, or I have called you by name. You are mine. The God who created you and formed you says, I've got, I have not forgotten about you. I have, you are mine. I've redeemed you, I've paid for you. I've paid the price. God speaks a word to those who have separated themselves. And each of us has done that in different ways and at different times. When you read this section of scripture, it's prophetic and poetic. It almost reads like somebody's diary, like it's God's diary. Words written down, or maybe a letter, like a love letter that's passed in school. Let me read a few more verses for us. Verse 2. When you pass through the waters... And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Please don't do that literally. The flames will not set you ablaze. So just a few verses before, God had pronounced judgment on his people and used the language of being consumed and enveloped and overwhelmed. And now he says the exact opposite. Now that his people have experienced that and are in exile, he says, now I will be with you. Not that there will be no floods, not that there will be no fires, but that I will be with you. And I will protect you, if only you would turn to me. From the desolation of chapter 42 to a description of the height and breadth and depth but God's love for you, for his people. This is a powerful word that has been an encouragement for God's people since it was first written. That's why we often share it at Christmas time. It's a powerful word that gives hope in a season where we anticipate the coming of Jesus, the one who brought hope into the world. It says you are not abandoned. You are not forgotten or forsaken. Let me continue in verse 5. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this, and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say it is true. God is saying, those gods can't do And in case you're not sure, let's let them test it. We know that that happened several times in the Old Testament, and we know how that turned out. It never worked out. It 
created, formed, called, honored, saved, redeemed. The one who has done all of this says this, verse 10, you are my witnesses. servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me no God was formed nor will there be one after me I even I am the Lord and apart from me there is no Savior I have revealed and saved and proclaimed some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? These are the words of the Lord to His people to give us hope, to give them hope then, and to give us hope now, to encourage us to press on, to see not only that God is indeed great in time, in scale, in every way, but that God is also oh so good. Who here has experienced the goodness of God? Yeah, if, unless if we were all completely extroverts, we'd be... Yeah, we'd be doing like Rover all the time. You are mine. I have ransomed you. I bought you back and will pay any price to have you reunited with me. There is nothing, no obstacle that I cannot overcome. My friends, this is just a glimpse of God's love. It's why we read it at Christmas time, because it, it points us to see Christ, who was that new thing that God was doing. God knows that his people are forgetful and wayward. So once again, we hear that reminder, do not be afraid. I am with you. I love you. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul actually tags off of some of these words. And he reminds those who have come to believe in Jesus that never forget you were bought with a price for a price. There's a story about a little boy who was really interested in boats. So he made a toy boat one time and he attached a little string onto it. Then he went down to the river and he took his boat and he put it in the water and he held onto the string. And then what happens when you put boats in the water? They get pulled along by the current. And so he started walking along the edge of the river with his boat, but all of a sudden his boat got pulled a little bit further out. And it got into that faster current, and then suddenly it was pulled so hard that he lost control of the string, and he saw his boat go off in the distance. How do you think that little boy felt? He was so sad. He's probably a little mad too, but he was so sad. So the little boy went home, and he wasn't sure what to do. He thought he had lost his boat. 
and he started to walk home. And a few days later, he was walking around town, and all of a sudden he walked past this toy shop. And in the window, what was in the shop of the window? But his boat. And he runs into the shop, and he says, Mr. Mister, that's my boat. That's my boat. I need it. And he's like, well, somebody else brought that boat in. If you want it, you're going to have to pay for it. So the little boy went home and got all the money that he could. He ran back and gave all of his money. Yeah. He gave all of his money to the shopkeeper and he took that boat and he cradled it in his arms. And he said, first I made you, then I bought you. You are twice mine. That story is how God views you. In the midst of the vastness of the universe, the stars, the galaxies, even that great wall thing that's so big we can't even think about it, God made you. The Lord saw fit to make you and considers you as a precious treasure. That is not just an opinion, that is the only opinion that matters. No matter what anyone else says, no matter what our own brains say, that is what God says. You are mine. Just as God first bought and brought back his people from captivity, you too have been bought and brought to him for a price. We know that that price is the blood of Jesus, who died on the cross for you and me, the one through whom the heavens were created and yet chose to give up his life for us. You have been redeemed by the awesome work of our great and good God. So when you feel unworthy and untreasured, hear and cling to that love of God, the God who will do anything to bring back lost people. When we pull our hand away in fear or in shame, God remains near to you, even if you don't know it. Holding out his hand and waiting for you to grab it again. I have called you by name, he says. You are mine. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. My friends, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that in the midst of the hard words that you speak to your people, you also offer words of hope and encouragement. You remind us of our value. You remind us that we have a part to play in your plan. I pray that you will continue to speak to each person here, reminding of us of that truth. God, I know that you have something to speak to each of us. So would you open our ears to hear what you are inviting us to hear today? Will you remind us of a particular promise? Maybe it's that promise that we need to hold on to this week. May that embolden us to be your hands and feet, to reflect your light and love into this world of prayer.
What more can we say than that? Our good God is always near, but never far. So go with God. Taste and see that the Lord is good.